Support for this episode of 9 to Thrive HR is brought to you by IBM. IBM helps you recruit your new stars, gain analytic insights, and engage employees to perform their best. To learn more, please visit ibm.com software slash smarter workforce. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us on another episode of 9 to Thrive HR, a podcast produced by HCI, where we discuss some of the most pressing issues facing talent management today and help service ideas and solutions to those problems by speaking to experts and practitioners in the field. My name is Randy Kenny, and I'm your host for today. I'm joined by David Zinger, consultant and author of People Artists, Drawing Out the Best from Others at Work. Let's get started with more about you, David. You've been hard at work in the engagement space for quite some time. Can you tell our audience a little more about yourself? Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Randy. I've probably spent about 18,000 hours on engagement. You could say I'm almost obsessed with it. Uh, I really am very fascinated by the relationship of people with their work, with their organizations, with their leaders, with their managers, and and the leaders and managers organization with with the people. There is no them in engagement. Uh, CEOs are employees too, and and we need to have a broad brush look at at what engagement means for people and their connection to work and and with each other. My background is in counseling psychology. I remember the first article by William Kahn in 1990, and it was on personal engagement. And I I even thought back then, I thought, well, that's a really rich concept for looking at people's relationship uh, to work and how they bring themselves to work. So we didn't use the name uh, employee engagement until the late 1990s, but in some ways I've been involved in it for 30 or 40 years. And in all of that time studying engagement, You've come to define it as good work done well with others every day. Can you share some anecdotes that have helped you come to this definition? Thanks for that question. You know, there's at least 50 or more definitions of engagement. Some are pretty complex. I I do a lot of my time, uh, spend a lot of my time talking to leaders and managers and I, I needed something that, that was down to earth that they could understand, that they could relate to, that it wasn't some sort of management speaker jargon. So uh, I, I reduced it to eight words. So good work is, is a quality of work and a product of work. Uh, when our work has significance and meaning, we tend to be more engaged. And there's a level of work. I, I'm not a huge fan of the, the moniker great workplaces. Not that there's anything wrong with great per se, but uh, I think good is attainable and, and the, the continuous good sometimes results in, the, in great. And so I, I really focus on the good element. Uh, done well, I, I really do believe work can make you well. Uh, I think we can have wellness programs and exercise programs and nutrition programs. But if we don't find well-being inside work itself, we're missing one of the greatest opportunities we have because we we spend so much time uh, connected to our work. With others, you can barely separate task and relationship in today's workplace anymore. Relationships play a role in not only the tasks that we accomplish, but who we work with, how we work, and how work gets done. And the final two words are, are every day. Engagement isn't a once every two year survey or once a year survey. It's it's how we approach our our work and our organizations and each other every day. There's a an optimistic element in that everydayness, and that uh, you can be more engaged uh, pretty much any day. And in order to really gauge engagement in an organization. 
Companies need to foster an environment where it's safe for employees to express their dissatisfaction or frustration. You mentioned the once a year or every other year types of surveys. How do anonymous surveys like that work against that goal of creating that safe space? That's a great question, Randy. Uh, I I think safety, personal safety or psychological safety is, is the fraternal twin of employee engagement. If it's not safe for people to be who they are, if they don't feel safe in saying what they're experiencing, uh, there's less likelihood that we're going to see a fairly highly engaged workplace. An anonymous survey, and don't get me wrong, there's there's a a usefulness and a value in that tool, and, and sometimes we can get a benchmark. But there's a couple things we're doing with anonymous surveys. One, and, and I don't think it's our intention, is we're telling employees we don't want to know who they are. Uh, how would we know who they are if they don't uh, put their name or attach who they are to it? And they know sometimes, and, and maybe more than sometimes, maybe frequently, uh, people are worried about their responses on a survey and will they be punished for them or will something else happen uh, because of it. The second thing we do is when we use an anonymous survey, when we get all the information about engagement and we get employees' experiences at work, uh, we can't follow up. Uh, we can follow up in a very general sense with a program, but I would like to be able to talk with an employee who had a low engagement score and, and have a conversation. The final statement I would make here is that the disengagement shouldn't be a punishable offense. It should be a trigger for a conversation. We're never exactly sure why someone might be disengaged from their work or from their leadership team or their manager or the organization. And and it's not just embedded in them. There's a whole system that operates around this. And, and if we can get that kind of information, if we can listen to that level of uh granularity, if you will, we we can then follow up. And so I think anonymous surveys are probably here to stay for for quite a long period of time, but I think we get a generation with technology and smartphones and uh, Fitbits and other things that that we're going to see that landscape change quite a bit in the future. I'm glad you mentioned having those conversations. I remember learning about active listening even way back in grade school. It's one of those topics that is actually still important in the workplace, uh, especially in my life more so than something like trigonometry. How would you describe the type of active listening that a company should perform to really engage their employees and, and hear what they're saying? Yeah, I, I did pretty bad at trig and uh, some of the sciences, so, so listening, uh, listening sings to me, so to speak. Uh, maybe you shouldn't even ask me that question. My background's in counseling psychology, so I, I and I taught at University of Manitoba for 20 to 25 years. I was involved for 20 to 25 years teaching people how to listen to others in a very interpersonal way. But in some ways, the interpersonal is not that much different than the organizational. So when I taught my students, I taught them to listen for three things. Content, what the person was saying, emotion, how they were saying, and the third one, which I thought was really vital to make listening work, was intention. Why were they saying it? What did they want to have happen based on on what they were saying? So organizationally or interpersonally, whether you're a manager talking directly to an employee or you're in the HR suite designing a new listening tool, I think those three things are really, really, really vital. Listen for what's being said. Listen for how it's being said, which is harder to catch on 
some of the surveys and other things, uh, but really listen why it is said. When I say something, what is it that I want? What's my intention in telling you that? Do I want a correction on it? Do I want you just to understand it? Do I want you to be able to make some accommodations because of that? Do I want to see uh, some kind of major change? So good listening always requires response. You know, uh, Stephen Covey once said, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. And, and not to be too presumptuous, but I think he missed the middle bit. It should have been seek first to understand and demonstrate that understanding before seeking to be understood. And, and our listening not only needs to hear what employees are saying, we need to demonstrate that we understood. We need to follow up on every question we should ask. If you're going to ask 120 questions on an employee engagement survey, then be prepared to respond to each one of those. If you're going to ask employees to write anecdotal comments on some kind of survey, then be prepared to acknowledge and respond to each one of those. If you're not prepared to do that, then don't ask that question or don't open up for anecdotes. We need to demonstrate that we heard what was said, and we need to demonstrate that we're prepared to, to do something about what was said. So that may be a little bit different, but that, that to me is the active part of listening. It's not just hearing, but it's the demonstration and, and how we act based on what we heard. Thanks so much. That's a great response. And let's talk a little bit about the business. I got a little fiery there. Oh, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, disengagement, as you know, I'm sure can have a really huge business impact. Uh, for our podcast listeners who are looking to really begin improving engagement in their own organizations, what is one step that they could all take today to start moving in that positive direction? I was working in the mine uh, a number of years ago, and one of the mining supervisors said to me, in the mine it's all about faith. Uh, he said our, our metric or measure for results is about how much we cut into the face of the mine, and that's a very key number in the mine. He also said that what's really important uh, to create a culture of engagement in the mine is for the miners to see the face of managers and supervisors and leaders uh, when possible. They don't feel completely underground, even though they are underground, from the organization. So I'm going to take a military term and change it from a command to an invitation. I think one of the best things that you can do uh, to start to transform uh, disengagement is to do an about-face. In the military, about-face is just to, to turn 180 degrees in disengagement or engagement, it's about talking to employees about the results that we're trying to achieve, about the results they're trying to achieve, and how we're connected to it. And sometimes, this is right out of uh, left field, if you will, I sometimes like to say it's the Spice Girls question. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want, and ensure that the employee also knows what the organization wants, what they really, really want, and add a face to that. So like the mine where it's about face, about the results of how much we cut into the mine and the face of the managers and the leaders, I think that same principle can be applied in any organization. So really start to look at how you do an about face in your organization, not as a command, not as control, but as a really authentic invitation to engagement. Great insights. Thank you so much, David, for taking the time to join us today to talk about all of your expertise and engagement. It's been very helpful. 
Thanks, Randy. We'd also like to thank all of you tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. Lastly, one more big thank you goes to IBM. Without their generous support, HCI couldn't deliver great content like this. If you're interested in learning more about what we discussed in today's episode, you can find more resources at hci.org. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of HCI, this is Randy Kenny.